would like to uh, use image or the metaphor of the ocean and the wave uh, for next meditation, which for me was always uh, like a quite helpful image uh, with different possibilities of insight. And uh, I think uh, it's possible for us, based on our education about ecosystems and the weather and how everything is connected with each other, uh, to get a sense that this moment arises in dependence on everything else. Yeah? So this, uh, this is a... Uh, this is uh, this moment the way it is. Every detail, yeah, uh, the temperature where you sit, how the sky today is, your mood, yeah, all of that is uh, connected with everything else, with everything which ever happens and which is happening now. Yeah? It is just like that. We can understand that. That we that this is a an, an open network, and uh, so this is the image of the shoreless ocean of uh, of unity, the image of unity. In in Buddhist philosophy, it's also called dependent arising. So, and out of this infinite ocean of life, there's waves. And they arise, and they don't lose the oceanness while they arise. They are the ocean. They are also a wave. But they are also the ocean, both. And each of these waves is unique. Probably it's true to say that from all the millions of waves happening right now on the oceans here on this planet, there's not one single wave exactly the same as the other. So this is unity, and this moment is a display of unity. It emerges from unity, doesn't leave unity in any way, and dissolves back into unity. That is f true for this body. Now, this body is uh, a dependent arising. It's made from all the food which was aten, eaten, it's sperm and egg coming together, and so on and so on. Yeah. And it's made from the same stuff as the earth, and it's connected with everything else. But it's also true for any experience arising in that ocean. Any thoughts I might have, any sensation I might have, all of that is uh, a wave 
coming from the ocean of unity, dissolving back into the into the unity and being water all the all the time. So the the stuff, the fundamental stuff, doesn't change. It's just different shapes. So in this way, you could say this moment is perfect. It's, it's exactly as it is. It can't be different. It's actually insane of the, from the narrative self to sit there and to shout out in the universe, sorry, something is wrong here. I don't like this thought. I mean, that's his ultimate narcissism. <laughs> because if this thought should be different, everything is different. You can't have something different without changing the whole thing. So in this way, you could say, and know this, spirit tradition who say that, that this is the great perfection. This is perfect. That, that doesn't mean that you need to like it, but, but it can't be different. It's perfect. So I like this, uh, this image. And of course, working with that image is a symbolic work. It's not the experience, but sometimes symbolic work can lead into a non-symbolic experience. And the non-symbolic non experience of this image, that is non-duality. And the insight, which we talked about before, the insight that the selfing creates the appearance of separation is part of that. It is this way of realizing hey, I was always the ocean. It was stupid to seek for the ocean. Seeking the ocean for the, for the wave means it covers up the fact that she is already the ocean. But even the seeking is fine because it's also the ocean. There's nothing wrong with seeking. There's nothing wrong with doing spiritual practice or not doing spiritual practice. It is all it. It's all oneness. It's all infinity. It's all emptiness. And you can't do anything or not do anything to be here. Not seeing this, that is samsara. Nothing changes to go to nirvana, except this is seen. Samsara and nirvana are the same place. So let's play with this. I will just throw in a few reminders. 
you don't need to do anything with them. It's more like a It's more like listening to a poem or listening to a song, not analyzing it, but just uh, just noticing if something in you res resonates with this song, with this poem. So. It's always helpful to uh, take some time of shifting down and slowing down with um, bringing awareness into the body. It's a uh, it's an effortless process. If a lot of uh, if a, a lot of things are going on, it could be helpful to, for a while at least, to lightly ride on the breath into the body and with the out breath softening and letting things be. So. You can wind down, shifting gear, just presencing this moment. If you get hooked, you unhook. And appreciating, recognizing, noticing the spacious aliveness. There's some discomfort, physical or emotional. What we explore here is if, if we let that be okay, it is what it is. Breathing into, allowing. Then get a sense of the infinity of the field of your experience. The vastness. The depth. 
if there's a, a bit of a fear or a bit of shrinking in front of the vastness, then that's good. It's, it's a good sign. If your body is not a safe place right now, then feel the earth, feel the walls, feel the people around you. Listen to the cars. So now using this image or the metaphor of the ocean, the shoreless ocean, and recognizing how every feeling, every thought, every sound, every sensation is a wave in this shoreless ocean. arising, doing its thing, waving, and then dissolving back into the ocean. This moment is the infinite ocean, interconnectedness, rising and passing back into the ocean. And then you rest. This moment is infinity, emerging from infinity, being infinite and dissolving back into infinity. This moment is emptiness, rising from emptiness, dissolving back into emptiness. This moment is God, rising from God, dissolving back into God.
every feeling, every urge, every sensation, the sense of the body, the sense of I, dissatisfaction, happiness, There's a wave arising from the ocean, dissolving back into the ocean. This moment is oneness, displaying, still being one and dissolving back into oneness. This moment is essence love, displaying movement, thoughts, feelings, sensations, dissolving back into essence love. There's nothing to do. No more further to go. This is all there is. And then you rest. This is peace. Exactly as it is. The con contraction and the narrative self is a wave in the ocean of infinity. Dissolving back into infinity. By, by itself. Nothing needs to be done. Everything happens by itself.
So whatever is in the foreground in your experience right now is a wave emanating or manifesting from the shoreless ocean of life. Being life, dissolving back. Okay, then um, uh, yeah, I have a kind of uh, some thoughts coming up uh, since uh, started this morning, so I will just um, share this, and it's about laziness. Laziness. So it belongs a bit into okay. I have listened to this kind of stuff before, why you have learned some uh, uh, practices which kind of belong into the provisional uh, practices, you know, the practices uh, leading to peace with the cause. And you know, so I don't know what it is. In your case, maybe eating better or going running every day, or doing your meditation practice, or having uh, short mini-meditations throughout the day, gratefulness practice, forgiveness practice, self-compassion. Why the heck am I not doing it? <laughs> yeah. um, so there seems to be a, like a 
some kind of resistance to uh, to ride towards health. To do the things which are where you know from your experience they are good for me. And why do I continue to do the things which keep me stuck, uh, which undermine vital my vitality? Yeah. And there's, there's a few things what you could say, say here, but one of the One of the uh, one of the hindrance uh, could be laziness, and so let's explore laziness, and I will use. Uh, uh, a text written by Master Shantideva, who is uh, an Indian master who, who, li who lived around the 6th century, maybe, but I think he's supposed to, I think he got 500 years old, so it's, it's not really, or there's, maybe there's a few Shantidevas, that could be also. Uh, but so, there is this text, it's called the Bodhisattva which describes the way of a Bodhisattva. So Bodhisattva is a term for beings who are dedicated to bring forth their potential for the benefit of all. Kind of waking up to your creativity, to your gift, to who you are, and expressing that uh, for the joy and the, the benefit of, of all. So that, that kind of being is called the Bodhisattva. And uh, uh, in this text, uh, Shantideva talks about laziness, and he describes uh, three aspects of laziness. And I'm not uh, talking about laziness in this contemptful way. We maybe would talk, of, you know, you're so lazy. Uh, uh. Because how... how um, the way in, in our kind of culture the word is often used is kind of you are so unproductive. But that's actually good. <laughs> oh, it's, it, it's so healthy to be unproductive. I mean, this productivity, productivity madness, it's, it's just crazy. So, what, what does Shantideva mean with laziness? 
first one you mentioned is comfort orientation. So the narrative self, the identification, the contraction, goes for short-term comfort. So we all know these moments when we feel, when we know the best to do in the evening is to put away the social media, to do some yoga, to talk with your husband, and then go to bed. To, to, to go to, to go to do to go for a little walk and, and then go to bed. But there, something in us is seeking this temporary comfort. It, it, And, you know, this is this, the experience if you not only watch something on Netflix, but you watch six ser series in one go and you eat two bags of chips and drink five Carlsberg. So, yeah, part of the training uh, in the Buddhist uh, in the Buddhist uh, training is to increase the tolerance towards discomfort and to um, yeah I mean it's already a lot to become aware of comfort seeking not in a judgmental way but uh, what usually happens what you become aware of starts to lose its power. You start to get more choice. There's a, a bit of a window. Of course, it's difficult to discuss choice, but you know, so now we are on the level of the eye, yeah? which seems to have choice. And we're living in a culture where we are so we are so brainwashed into this kind of comfort seeking. Oh, there's a difficult feeling. Let's take a pill. So is it possible, and would you be interested in increasing your capacity to be with discomfort? For example, you have a... And we are not even need to talk about like big difficult feelings. It could be just some kind of boredom or restlessness in the evening. 
What do you do then? Well, I go to the fridge. My refuge is the fridge. So just to become aware of these habits. There is a there is a there is a continuum where there's no like one point where comfort giving yourself comfort is actually self-nurturing, taking care of yourself. So sometimes like the extremes, they are pretty obvious. Yeah. So uh, when is uh, you know doing something self-nurturing, something good for you, watching one series on Netflix, where you maybe even yeah you bring some insights into the watching and so on. And one, when does it become comfort-seeking? It's difficult to say sometimes. And sometimes when I talk with people, I, there's just the natural uh, kind of knowing in me that this person is supposed to learn self-nurturing, taking care of herself. Watching more Netflix, eating chocolate, yeah. So being mindful of comfort seeking. What is what is the comfort? Who is the comfort addict in me? And can I can I? Uh, take moments where I would seek out the short-term comfort, can I use that for pausing and meeting how I feel? And then go to the fridge. And may, or maybe not. One of the biggest soothers in our time is the smartphone. And it's really a problem, and it gets worse. And the, the, the smartphones and the technique behind it is created for us to be addicted to it. They use a weakness in us, and it keeps us away from connecting with our inner life. And it's available all the time. If you don't choose not to go into that comfort zone. So that's the first one. The second is loss of heart. Loss of heart, loss of hope. It doesn't matter. I don't matter. I'm not worth it. This 
belongs more into the third category, which is self-contempt, self-contempt. But uh, loss of heart, yeah, losing the losing the connection with with losing the connection with the goodness in you, losing the connection with the joy of loving others, losing the connection with the preciousness of friendship, giving up. Of course, there's, uh, it's completely fine to have periods in your life where you give up and to give space to that. Uh, but it can be a kind of permanent state. I, I'm not worried. I, 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 like a hopelessness, giving up hope on yourself. So how can you rekindle that, that inspiration, that intention? To heal. To be relevant. Checking up the map you're navigating with. And is that something you could change? So in the Tibetan tradition you have a lot of reflections on uh, rekindling that. Uh, in the progressive path, you know, the precious human life, the contemplation of death, which brings this moment into aliveness, the contemplation on the kindness of others, you know, looking back into your life or becoming aware of the present moment, how how much you receive at this moment. There's food, there's water, there's shelter provided by others. So there's different, uh, different, uh, different possibilities to, to shifting your view, shifting the map you're using to rekindle to to rekindle the motivation
to make this life meaningful. A life which is from its own side meaningless. It's your job. What do you believe in? Is it, is it worth living for friendship? Is it worth living for love? So this uh, awakening of this, uh, this heartfulness, the heartfulness that is called bodhicitta in, in the Tibetan tradition. Bodhi is awakening, citta is the heart. So it's awakening the heart. I was just thinking about an example of that, quite, it's already quite some years ago, with my partner then, we had this uh, mindfulness group for mothers and fathers uh, on Basel, Basel you call it. Huh? Mm -hmm. yeah. So we had this group and they, it was in this year where well, they, they didn't work and they we would come and there were maybe five, six babies and uh, either often still the mother, <laughs> even in Denmark, <laughs> but sometimes also couples or a father. And uh, so what we would do, we would make these circles, circle, and we would put all the babies in the middle and we would just sit there and uh, do a practice which we call baby gazing. It, it comes from a Tibetan tradition, a Tibet, Tibetan practice which is called sky gazing. Yeah? So it's like uh, finding the inner space by gazing into the sky. Yeah? So kind of letting go into the sky. So here it was baby gazing. And it was amazing uh, that we always came, sometimes it took a while, you know, someone needed to be fed or <laughs> some, some attention, but we always came into this, uh, into this stillness where also the baby started to respond to, to that. Yeah? A kind of peace, peace, peace of being. And there was so much tenderness and so much love in the room. 
that this moment was, was full by itself. If you would have asked this moment, the mothers, hey, what's the meaning of your life? It doesn't make sense, this question. Because that's, that's it. This is enough. Nothing is... There needs to be not more purpose than just this. And it was so obvious. And the babies. <laughs> and the mothers. <laughs> and fathers. Yeah. So there was definitely no loss of heart in that moment. So that's an example of what I mean with that fullness which comes with being here in the fullness of this moment. And we are babies. You don't need to have your own babies. You can just look at the babies here. <laughs> so in the Tibetan tradition, there's uh, offers, you know, suggestions how to rekindle uh, that fire of bodhicitta. And then the third, which is probably for us the kind of biggest one, and I've mentioned it already, and that is self-contempt. The trance of unworthiness. The trance of I'm not good enough. The trance of self-rejection of self-judgment, the trance of being hard with yourself, of disliking yourself. This is, uh, this is something Tibetan, traditional Tibetan teachers often don't understand. They don't get it, and so they don't address it. There are some who have, who have had, who have listened, who did listen to, to, Western, to their Western students, but they don't have any concept of that. They don't have words for that. It, it doesn't exist in their own experience. Because they come from a culture where, right from the beginning, what is reflected to the kids is, you are Buddha. And there's some room for improvement, and I take care of that. But fundamentally, you are Buddha. And that's that never can be destroyed, no matter who you are and what you are and what you do. If you really mess up, you'll, you still remain a Buddha. So that's very different than 
you know, our psychological history, we hardly get reflected from anyone, you're good as you are. I love you for who you are, not what you produce or... Yeah? We get often reflected, something is wrong with you. You are too loud, too, you are too quiet, you are awkward, you are this and that. And you shouldn't be like that, you shouldn't act like that, you shouldn't feel like that. It's wrong. That's what we often get reflected. And, and then we internalize that. It becomes part of the narrative self. Becomes a, it becomes part of the story. It, it, it becomes part of how the narrative self talks with our experience. This is not good enough. This is wrong. You shouldn't be like that. You are too shy. You are too loud. You take too much space. You take too little space. It's a nightmare. It's, it's a prison where we are torturing ourselves. Fortunately, because of, uh, how is it called? That the brain is flexible? Plasticity, yeah, plasticity, plasticity, plasticity. Yeah, plasticity. So fortunately, uh, we can change that, but it, it takes some time and some, some, no, so it's actually doing it. Um, replacing the way we talk with ourselves, with the, with the inner life, with our experience. Replacing that into a more kind way to talk with ourselves in a more encouraging way. And again, the first and painful step here is to become aware of what is happening, of what we're doing. To become familiar with that aspect of, of the narrative self, to get to know that, to to start to get a choice not to listen. So I, I can recommend, uh, you know, the, the work of Christy Neff or Christopher Germer or Tara Brach. So if this speaks to you and, and you want to look into their research and their practices, and probably some of you have done that already and you have a feeling, yeah, I did that, yeah, self-compassion, it's a bit simple, you know, it's like, a, yeah, it's a bit, yeah, I've understood it, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, finding your, you know, your, uh, using your creativity to be inspired by that kind of practices and, you know, finding your own, your own way uh, to um, to walk this path of self-acceptance, of self-compassion, of 
self-nurturing of forgiveness. Yes. If you haven't done some Christine F. self-compassion training, something like that, just get it. Just look at it. It's, it's most of it, I mean, initially it's for free. You can just go to a website and look at the exercises, at the guided meditations. And, uh, and what is the name of the tool? Christine F. is her name. N. Can you say it? Yeah. N-E-F-F, Christine Neff. And she is working together with uh, Christopher Germer, is his name. Uh, and then there is uh, Tara Brach, and then there is also self-compassion-based therapy, Gilbert is his name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Gilbert. I mean, they, are, they all say the same, but uh, in different words. And it's... It's good to kind of find a, find something which speaks to you. I mean, if you can't stand this American Christine Neff voice, uh, then maybe Christopher Germer would be nicer to work with. Or, you know, so it, it's also very personal. Um, so what works for you? But also in the in the traditional practices like loving kindness in the Theravada tradition, but also in the Tibetan tradition, the practice of Tonglen. So even in the traditional text, it says, start with you. Yeah. Start to practice with you. It's just that we might not do it, or only like, like this, yeah. because it feels awkward. It feels... Uh, I shouldn't love myself. Isn't that narcissistic? It's a big difference. Could we do some tomorrow? Sure, yeah. I can, uh, I can say something about uh, Tonglen, uh, also in the connection with peace, yeah, so... Um, I mean, I could have chosen any kind of word than peace. <laughs> it's, it's just, uh, yeah, but uh, breathing out peace, breathing in non-peace, yeah. transforming non-peace into peace, uh, connected with the breath. And we can do that tomorrow. It's a good idea. <laughs>